Hi, everyone, and welcome back to RPG R&D. I'm one of your hosts, Jess Geyer. I am one half of one of the games, and I make tabletop role-playing games. And I'm here with my co-host, Craig Campbell. Hello, Craig. Hi, Jess. I'm Craig Campbell. I own Nerdburger Games, and I make tabletop role-playing games, too. And we are here with a guest, um, f- Matthew. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Matt. What's up? Uh, I'm Matthew. Uh, not much, not much. I'm Matthew Orr, uh, uh, and I am one half of Wet Ink Games, and we also make tabletop role-playing games. Uh, surprise! And me, uh, surprise! And, uh, you know, I was just composing an email about what's going to be our first, like, card game, board game thing, not a tabletop role-playing game. So, you know, we're, we're branching out in 2023, <laughs> but uh, mostly TRPGs for now. Well, that, that's really exciting. It's it's fun to dangle tabletop in general. There's a lot in common with all board games, LARPs and card oh. games and all of that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, it's not the subject for the episode, but I was I was commissioning art and I'm explaining like what the game is about. And that's why we want you to draw this thing, because it's a whole world, even though ultimately it's just laying cards on a table. You're not really role playing, but you want to make the art evoke the feeling of the game. And, you know, like whatever. you can role play any game. That's true. Absolutely. Absolutely. Any game. Absolutely. Don't don't tell me there aren't people Absolutely. that play play board games and, and they like, get into the character and they like taunt each other as the character of like, oh, whoever's whoever's we... trying to take over this town or raise this army or solve this murder oh, yeah, absolutely clue. like <laughs> if you're gonna go at risk and like you know don't attack kamchatka because it's not weak and like you know you get into the yeah people role play even like little cubes on a map of the world um i used to role play when i would do algebra in school because it was really boring <laughs> so i used to pretend all the numbers were in a karate tournament and i was <laughs> i was the referee for the karate tournament that's that's what got me through sitting through math. Oh my! <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, that's, all of the different like things you would do, in, which is why like, you for teach, math, which is why you teach. Moves. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I was saying that all the different um like things you do in math were different karate moves. Like one would be a punch, and yeah, yeah, you know. But that's why I teach what language arts. <laughs> <laughs> Various languages. <laughs> yep the art of language yes. is not karate i mean it can be which is actually an excellent um you know background for you to have with with the discussions that we have here you it's yeah. come up many many times your understanding of teaching and your understanding of language sure uh, has but is it going to help me on today's episode out uh i almost just called you my husband's name is it going to come up <laughs> in today's episode craig um let's find out um today for the gm side of things we're going to talk about borrowing from other games um which i think is somebody it, it's a, that's something that if you've played more than a few games um you've probably done this um whether it's kind of the the gm of the group decides to kind of tweak in a house rule that's awfully suspiciously close to some rule from another game or they say i really love this system but you know like i'm going to use the setting from this other game 
and we're going to play in that world with this system. Um, and so this is a pretty broad topic. It can be, a, you know, there's a lot of components to any given game and, and you can bring a lot of different pieces and parts from other games into your game, even going so far as to bring, you know, board games or card games into your role-playing game or bringing, uh, you know, real world card games into your role-playing game. And I've, I've done that with uh, games that were set in like the old West and stuff. And we would actually play poker with chips um, rather than rolling gambling dice um, or gambling skills. So yeah, borrowing from other games. Matt, I'm interested in hearing what yeah. uh, you've done on this. Uh, yeah. I mean, I have, I mean, as Craig was going through the the broad categories there, like I've got, yep, I've got a story for that. And I've got a story for that. And I've got a story for that. Um, you know, there, there is, is a lot of several things immediately occurred to me uh to as stories i could share on your podcast um uh, uh when this topic comes up you know so yeah i think it's uh it's uh it's definitely a thing that i do and have done as both a you know gm and a, a player um I, in the one that you mentioned the one that just springs to mind like first as you mentioned the uh the you know okay this is the rule set that we all know we're going to play this game but we're not going to play it in that setting we're going to play it in this other setting that's actually how the first game that brandon and i published worked is that there was a rule set that we all knew we'd been playing the game uh and then it was um it was the the game is called after the bomb and it is a hmm. it, it is itself a second edition unlicensed of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because they didn't <laughs> they they did a Teenage the Palladium books did a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle game and then they didn't have the license so then they just make oh okay now it's called After the Bomb and like mutants are caused by radiation or something but it's basically <laughs> all the same kind of weird animals um, so we use the After the Bomb rules which uses the Palladium books rule set the palladium system which is percentile dice for skills and d20 for attack rolls and stuff like that um the whole you roll under your percentage which is you know stuff other people have done too um but anyway so we've been playing riffs and other games and we knew that system and we're like okay we're going to play after the bomb we want to play the mutant animal thing but we don't care about a post-apocalyptic north america so what do we do instead we're like well we really like Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow. So, like, why don't we do like weird steampunk animal stuff? Except it's like high tech steampunk. So it's not steampunk. It's like diesel punk. And let's set it in Europe in the aftermath of World War One instead of like a bomb exploded in North America. So we changed everything about the setting, setting it in Europe, setting it a different time, setting it in a different um, technological context. Except you know we had the basis of the rules there. Um, so, you know, we make characters and after that, it's all backstory and, you know, everything that it was so easy to do that when you're coming up with a new game, um, because there's nothing, it, it's all narrative, right? It, the rule set is there, just use the rule set and then you can do whatever you want on top of the rule set, you know, um, I've gone on too long, but that's, that's <laughs> definitely the history of my first game is like, we're like this rule set exists let's use it and then we developed our own rule set eventually but that's but that's definitely like yeah you borrow from what you know and iterate and that's that's how games work a lot of times i think yeah reskinning something you know in a way i mean because that's not only what you're doing when you're 
using your rule set and changing the setting and changing a lot of the other things about it. But that's the definitely thing I've done when I've GM'd before. Okay, I like I like to play this, but I don't like this setting. So we're going to use mm-hmm. this rule, but it's going to be about something completely different. I think that that is something that a lot of GMs do. Um, sometimes for better, sometimes for worse. Sometimes um, there might be a better game out there that is better to play the thing you want to play. And sometimes, sometimes no, sometimes it's not the best thing for your group. And I think you kind of have to figure out like what works best for your group. Um, what kind of, what kind of level of rules are they comfortable with? Um, what's, what's too complicated or not complicated enough for them? What's going to support the type of story you want to tell? Those are all things that you got to really be kind of uh, either talking about directly or very intuitive about when you're deciding what kind of game to run. Yeah. I've found that the like hitting on what Jess just said about like, you know, what, what parts of things are you going to pull in? It becomes, it's a lot of times it becomes a question of because systems can be so very, very different. Um, it becomes a question of like, do you try to take the thing from this other game and bring it into your game whole cloth? and use it and find a way to like have whatever stat or track that you need to, or pool of points or whatever that's and and how you integrate that into the, the game system you're using. Um, and then you can basically run the rules as it, as, as they are from the other game that you're pulling from, or is that too much of a disconnect where it suddenly becomes like, like you know, you're asking the the players to learn another rule set basically to do this other thing, and it and you know it, it can feel very different. Like it like if you bring in something that's suddenly a pool of d10s versus your normal game is like rolling d20s a lot of the time, it starts to become a very it's a, it makes for a very different dynamic for the it, you know you have to learn all sorts of new things. So like, can you take the con- the concept and the the basic structure that doesn't that has to do with how you know how the mechanics go with with rolling the rolling dice of some sort, some sort of randomizer, um, and how that affects the gameplay, and can you meld that into the the you know the specifics of the system you're working with? Can you take the idea of um, something from another game and say, well, in in this other game it uses like I said pools of d10s, but can we do this with rolling a d20 for the game that we're because we're playing a game where you're rolling d20s all the time and that's what people are comfortable with it's what they understand we can do modifiers bonuses and penalties and all that sort of thing and you can basically take the rule system and kind of tweak it so that it fits the very specific portion of the rule set that you're working in and that becomes um that's where we start to get into what people start to think of like that's less borrowing from the other game and it's more house ruling but you're you know you are borrowing yeah, yeah. You're, you're using the game as an inspiration the other game as an inspiration to get you to the the thing that you feel is missing or that you would like to do differently in okay. your game you're dancing dangerously close when you're doing this to just game design um so <laughs> right, i mean even when matt was talking about it he was like talking this... about the game you made Right, right. I mean, this is like we've started with the second half of the episode first, I guess, because we're all game designers and and <laughs> and creators of games. But uh, um, so we could just go there and do the episode back to front. But like uh, the, I think when you're talking about that, I you're absolutely right, Chess. That that's sort of like if if you've gotten to that point, Craig, where you're like, 
okay, so I want to do this thing that this D10 pool system does, but I'm going to put it into my like D20 system thing and have to change a bunch of stuff and fudge a bunch of stuff. It's like, yeah, you're not, you're inspired by, but um, you're, you're making your own thing at that point. Um, when I think the, the, the first story that comes to, to, that came to my mind when this topic was, was, was on the table is it's it's like my experience is GMing um, in a very close, like um, in, not in a con game, but I've got games from um, like a weekly, not weekly. It was like a bi-monthly sort of event that would happen. And and we haven't done it in a while um, because of reasons uh, that you didn't get together for a long time at the local restaurants. But uh, um, the it's like you're in that environment you've only got four hours right so you've got to like introduce new players to the game get a story told and then like at eight o'clock they're coming in to take down the tables because there's a concert in the same room later tonight you know like and so like you've it's these very controlled circumstances this isn't your home game or whatever and so in that closed environment i found that i pulled in all kinds of little bits from other games just because you've got to get through the stuff, you know? So the one that happened is it's a, there was a climactic battle. Uh, You know, they, they'd solved the mystery. They were going to go face down the bad, the big bad of the adventure. Uh, You know, they'd taken out some of the weaker antagonists, but they still had the main enemy to fight, but it's like five minutes before the end of the time. Like, and so I'm like, okay, everybody, I need to go empty my bladder. I'll be back. And I'm like, I need this time away from the table to figure out what I'm going to do because we cannot run a combat in any satisfying kind of way uh, for the rest of in the five minutes we have left of this, this session. Um, but I had that time away from the table to step away and I realized what I needed to do. I was like, okay, we're going to end this like you end fiasco. And so I can, we came back to the table and I'm like, okay, anybody played fiasco and they hadn't done that. I'm like, great. Well then don't worry about it because this is what's going to happen. It's like, suffice it to say you beat the bad guy. Let's, let's go around the table and like, what, how do you contribute to beating the bad guy? Boom, 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 boom. Great. Now, what about tomorrow morning? How do you feel? What about six months from now that you've done this successful adventure? What do you feel? You know? And so we wrap it all up. They get like all this narrative control about all the stuff that they've been, their characters have been about, you know? And it's like, I just stole the end of fiasco from like, and you just put it in my game because I needed to get done with the game. Um, and that isn't something that I've done frequently, but in that, that time, it was like, I'm glad I had known what fiasco was and had their, their end wrap up thing where you do the, that, that thing the the, like the next day, the three months later, the five months later, whatever it is, whatever it is that they, that those periods of time to get those vignettes. And so, uh anyway that's that's sort of a thing where i have definitely used a completely other game without really changing anything and just put it in the end end of my game because you got to wrap up because the, the session's over you know it goes to show you how important it is when you even if you're not designing games you're just running games and that's what you'd like to do maybe you do it as a hobby or as a profession but to try to experience a lot of different kinds of games. You don't know what kind of tools you might fill up your toolbox, go fill up your toolbox with as many things as possible. I'm not saying you have to go play every single game, but you know, come become familiarized with the, go read some stuff, go, go look at some, some SRDs out there, go 
go maybe go play some at a con somewhere and and borrow and steal as much as you need for your toolbox and when you do need it you're running a game at a convention something has gone terribly wrong and you need to keep these people entertained <laughs> what are you gonna pull out uh I, I, there's no uh-huh. problem in just stealing at that point <laughs> If you're the if you're the sort of person who likes reading in-depth reviews of games, you can get the gist of of a game mechanics or a subsystem just from you know certain types of reviews where they really dig into how the mechanics function. And the you know, the reviewer maybe tells you, like, you know, okay, this is you know, you would do this and this and this to do the thing, and then this is how it played, you know, like they played it or whatever, and this is how it played, or they d- describe like this seems like a you know. A, a clean way to handle this sort of a situation, or here's an issue that I, I'm, cons- I'm I'd, I'd be concerned how it would handle this sort of a situation, or you can just have that background where, like I've seen reviewers who get that deep into it, they don't necessarily teach you the rules in the moment, but they give you enough that you could you could pick up something and just massage it a little bit to get it into your game. Um, another thing I would so. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to ask, like we've talked about rules. If you've got another rule thing, because this is, I kind of want to ask about the opposite, like changing genre in the middle of a game has, because like that is not something that I've ever experienced, but like, is there a moment that either of you have experienced where it's like, instead of borrowing the rules, you borrow the material, right? Where it's like, somebody's like, okay, I do this. And you're like, oh, great. Uh, now we're in Wonderland. And, uh, <laughs> you know, like, totally different things are going to happen now that you've done that. Like, it, you know, has, has that has that ever happened? Taken that opportunity to do that or anything like that? Um, Not. Because what? Oh, it just, it's it's such a, it's the opposite way of like borrowing from a different genre or borrowing, you know, whatever. I don't know. Are you so you're talking about like me as a possibility. Like switching genres when the is a reaction to what the players are doing. Exactly. Without yeah. changing the rules. Well, I mean, it, you could do both, I guess, yeah. but like I just it just occurred to me that like I could see a possibility of um I, I guess it's happened in tone, but I wasn't really borrowing. It all came from them. Like I had a horror game that that turned into a comedy game with I, I totally lost control of the mood um, uh, in like by one player's like declaration. And then it's like, oh, OK, well, this is we're go, we're doing something different now. Great. But that wasn't really borrowing from another game. I think um, but losing, is that losing control of the mood is something I think every GM can <laughs> Yeah, everybody's everybody's run a horror game where it's turned from Evil Dead into Evil Dead Two, and then into Army of Darkness. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> I I haven't done anything like that to the extent I think that you're talking about. Um, I I have had some moments like when I ran a Monster of the Week game, there was a moment where they all went into their deepest nightmares and their deepest fears, and one of them was the time that they lost a Yu Gi Oh game, or was it? It was yeah, I think it was Yu Gi Oh, and we didn't actually play Yu-Gi-Oh in the game, but they were playing Yu-Gi-Oh, just, you know, kind of rolling within the Powered by the Apocalypse system to kind of resolve those things. So, like, there were genre shifts there in kind of this nightmare, these several nightmare scenarios. Um, but I think it highlights the difference between thinking about your game as a game 
like you're working within one system, you're working within one setting, and then thinking of your game as a narrative. You are telling a story with these characters from start to finish, wherever that may be. Um, and I think when you limit your idea of what you're playing as a game, that we're using these books and that's it, you're like, that's fine, but you are then you're limiting yourself um, into thinking about that game as, oh, we are playing, we are playing Pathfinder. This is the game that we are playing mm -hmm. and, and not, we are playing the game of these characters. We are playing the story game of these characters. Uh, I, uh, I've, I've seen this kind of stuff work before as well. Um, there was a season of the Adventure Zone uh, called Ether Sea where they started their game by world building with the quiet year and then going into DD. Um, I actually don't think that they should have used DD. I think DD was the worst system they could have used for the setting that they had chosen. Uh, but hey, whatever. Uh, if you, if you want to tweak some of the rules and, and make a cool underwater fantasy uh, for yourself in, in 5e, if that's what you want, go ahead. Uh, but I thought it was really interesting that they would world build with another game entirely and then if they did that and it's still the same game because it's still the same campaign switching a whole right, set right. and also a whole genre uh because it went from the setting was above world for during the quiet year and then below the sea for the rest of the game yeah uh we in my game group that i used to be in we did microscope for that that world building part uh which is a game it, it's basically like a timeline building activity of the history of whatever you're focused on. So, you know, like you could do like the 10,000 years of the Dune Imperium or whatever, or you could do like the court, this court or this trial, you could do like the history of the trial, but like, it's all, you do it with no cards. And so like, you're like, okay, well, this happens. Great. So then the next person is like, well, between those two things, this happens. And then like the next person would be like, yes, but a sub part of that was this. So then you've got like a sideways note card underneath your main events. And then like in the game, you're supposed to like be able to microscope in even further and then role play the scene that made that change happen that came before the other things you've already established in the timeline. Um, but when we did it as the, the world building activity, we didn't do the, the third level of zoom in. It was just like, these things happened before these things and these elements were part of those things. And then we did that for like a session, like almost like a session minus one, right? Before we even got to characters. Cause then once we had this whole timeline of the world, we were like, all right, so of all of the things that have happened on the board here, where are we going to set our, how much lore are we going to have? So like, if we do it here, we've got this much lore, but if we do it earlier, then like we'll be doing the things that led to that war of the necromancers or whatever you know um and building it and together we, getting more buy-in exactly heard, exactly heard, at the table i've heard that with, suggested many many times yeah microscope of building the world out with microscope first. yeah i mean i or i know i keep i talk about it all the time yeah <laughs> yeah there are um it, uh but yeah it, you know it's like that it, but it's exactly what you were talking about with quiet year and then they played D, &D on top of that i think we also played Dungeons and Dragons on top of like that that world building that we did, um, because that's what the the table wanted to do. But it was, you know, it's do we have resurrection spells? It's like no, because necromancy has been outlawed after you know 
whatever. And I made up a name of some necromancer that whatever. Um, you know, it's it's the yeah, anyway, it's it is borrowing from using two games that aren't supposed to be sewn together uh that way, sewn together that way. Um I I feel like that can work more easily. That sort of thing can work more easily. You can integrate a portion of another game if it's a very different game um a little more easily like it's the closer the two games yeah. are to each other the more you start thinking like well how am i gonna like tweak one to fit the other like i could see um either 10 candles or dread working to do a genre swing for an episode of a game for one session where you integrate the you know the the slowly uh, snuffing out the candles or the you know the tension of the jenga tower where like you make you make rolls you might still have rolls you might not you might you might shift the game entirely to like um oh you know have yeah, it be absolutely. more narrative and and you're talking and you're role playing and you're inhabiting your characters and everything and then you you don't do so much of the rolling for for a game that like has a lot of roles let's say um and then you 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 know you shift to the jenga tower pole or um you you deal with the candles um but that's one of those things too that that's that can be a jarring switch um i would say that's definitely one of those things just to bring it up to the players before before you're going to before you're going to do it you know at least a few sessions maybe at session zero if you think of it and say like you know are you cool if we would like to do something weird like this um because some people might just be like no i just want to roll my dice <laughs> i just want to you know Right. Attack stuff and blow stuff up with fireballs or whatever it is you're playing. Shoot my superpower, my right. my heat my heat ray. Um, but you could probably integrate those sort of things. I I did something like that sort of with it was like kind of a house ruled thing that I was inspired by somebody what somebody wrote on the internet many many years ago that involved candles for a Halloween game and people blowing out their candles at the end and setting a stage and um for kind of a doom and gloom <laughs> session of the game where. There was all sorts of there was vampires in the town and where they're going to die and if anybody blew, if anybody's candle went out i told candle went out i told them yeah, your character dies and if you think i'm kidding try me it's a trick you can only pull one time <laughs> <laughs> and you have to have trusting players um but yeah people got really really um protective of their candles whenever somebody got up to use the restroom or something <laughs> <laughs> people would be like holding their hands around the flame like don't don't um but you know don't you can me out there's there's other games that are that are built around um some some of those like physical things that can be integrated that i think you know like you wouldn't try to <laughs> like there's there's no way to to make the jenga tower and dice work together really like you just do, just do the tension from the jenga tower um if that's what everybody's up for well, but i think yeah i think what you said about trusting your players and jess you mentioned earlier like you know if everyone's up for it or whatever like you you established it early that you might do that or and and it's so like you know you've made your persuasion checks and you've made your um deception rolls and you're gonna go to the the castle in your heroic fantasy game and then you pull out the 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 the, the tumbling block tower and don't it's not dread it's uh now we're gonna play starcrossed and like you know are you <laughs> gonna be able to get the princess to assist you or the prince or whatever you know like um uh you know like if you've got if you've established that's a thing that you're going to do at the table and people are up for it then like it, it it seems like the wild shifts of mechanics suit the wild shifts of 
genre, right? Because you're not within the castle wall and like it's all about you're not going to break out into a fight like I mean you could and often I mean I've been in those games where like like somebody's going to fight the palace guard and it's like well sorry you lost um because that's that's not that's not how it works um uh but the and then you have a dungeon escape whatever but or a, dra- a, a jailbreak but like the um because it's not done with swords and fireballs when you're having a ball you know that is the tension that is the, the you know the the right mechanics for the right um the adventure like i think this, you said that earlier jess uh, i'm just repeating with a specific example no yeah the, for sure it's it's the character through line you know rather than the we're playing this game you know mm-hmm. and that is different um you know uh, different different tables have different expectations of that but that's what yeah. makes playing a role-playing game different than playing uh we're playing we're playing settlers today like that that's what makes that different you're it doesn't matter really what rules you're using within your role-playing game when it comes down to it the game itself is the the story that you're you're telling otherwise you're playing a board game which is fine that's cool but yeah uh, I, I I like board games. <laughs> I made it sound like I don't. I made it sound like I'm being like <laughs> sarcastic about it. Right. I love board games. <laughs> I have a whole bunch of them. Uh, I I think also just like for a couple um, organizational notes, you want to make sure that whatever your rules mm. you're using are accessible for all of your players, and that might involve you um, typing some stuff up and. Um, formatting Mm. it and disseminating it to your players uh so they can all have access to it too you don't want them to uh we want them to trust you so hopefully you've already built trust up with them however you've done that um they're all on board with you you know borrowing from other games you're going to use these rules but you don't want them to then lose that trust when they have no idea what they're doing at when you you pull out the tumbling block tower you start pulling things off and they get really (laughs) mad when something bad happens because someone stood up from the table and bumped it and everything fell. You need to make sure that the rules are accessible and clear for everybody, which can be a little bit more work up front for you. Um, Especially like, I don't know if I would just grab the Jenga tower on the fly as a last minute thing, to be honest, that would be something I would uh, have to decide ahead of time, at least, uh, at least with a little bit advanced notice. Um, But Um for simpler yeah. things, I think you can just kind of pull, but. I, I definitely agree. There's a, a thing that's worth noting about like Jenga Tower games is there are people who like a game like Jenga. Um, and if you're going to utilize, you know, pulling those little blocks out, that that type of game is makes them incredibly anxious and it's just not fun for them. Um, it's just going to be a nerve wracking process or also people for whom um you know the manipulation of those little blocks with a very very steady hand is not something that they're able to do because of a condition that they may have that like you're just making it unfun for them because like they're just going to feel like i can't do this very well i'm i'm going to be the person who knocks the block over on the first try like you know like they, they it's you know like i i, I would not break, break out the jenga tower to a bunch of people that i wasn't absolutely sure like this is the the type of game they want to play because there's there's some things that just like that's that's a game that like just Mm -hmm. not not fun for some people um 
And there might be just not fun for them because they just don't like the game either. Like it has nothing to do with, with uh, any sort of um, emotional response to that sort of tension or, or any sort of physical capability. Like they, they might just not want to deal with that for, you know, two hours. Sure. <laughs> they want to roll the dice. Like, so, you know, yeah, be, be aware of your players. That's one, one of the things about con I've... games is like, you know, people sign up for it. Somebody that's playing yeah. Dread or, or Starcross is, you know, they know what they're getting into. The, the game description tells you what you're going to be doing. So. So I have, I've won. It doesn't really relate to what you were just saying, but one of my other anecdotes that I wanted to share that, that sort of relates to talking about rules and, and stuff like that. And we've talked about con games. Um, and I don't actually remember what game I borrowed this from. Um but it's what, and so I may have accidentally invented it, or I, I, I don't remember where I got it from, but I feel like I learned it from some other game. And it's a process that I often use, especially at a con game or when I'm teaching a game. And it, it basically is just like a bunch of low stakes skill roles so that people get familiar with how this game does skill roles. And so I'll, I'll, I'll set up a challenge where I'm like, okay, so each one of you is going to roll any skill you want and get a success. And once we've gotten three successes on any skill roll, then we will move on to the next thing. Like this, like, how do we get, we're going to go through the woods and like, what do you want to do? Like, Oh, I want to roll survival. Great. You find a trail. Like, and I want to roll like, uh, you know, animal friendship. Great. You, the, the wolves don't bother you because you know what to do. You know, it, it, it's like, it's it's not the purpose of me doing that is not to progress the narrative in necessarily an interesting way the purpose of me doing that is for like the people who are sitting at the table to watch like five consecutive skill rolls at the start of the game so that they know what they're doing then the rest of the time that we're going to be playing together because they did that that's how they got through the woods is they this is how you pick up the dice and it doesn't matter what game you're playing, whether you're playing Cypher or you're playing plus one or you're playing, you know, some D20 thing or whatever. It's like, use that method that I got from somewhere and just force the players to make a bunch of skill rolls to make it happen, you know? Um, and, and like I said, I you don't have to necessarily tell them that there's not going to be any consequences, but like, you're not. that, that That's because it's a, it's a GMing thing to to showcase the how this game works and then they've gotten that showcase and hopefully that that is you know there can be questions later but like you've at least given them that chance to see the skill system in 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 play and um i use that frequently and it's it's that toolbox thing that you said earlier jess it's like that's in my toolbox and i'm like all right how am i going to do this like uh, let's do a skills challenge thing and you know what's it going to get them through, get them through the city, get them through the forest, get them up the cliffside, get them into the factory, whatever, whatever it is that the adventure needs. It's so yeah. that's a, that's another thing that I use that, like I said, I don't remember where I got it from, but it's, it's something that that's there. I think I don't have a, like a, a good way to kind of switch topics here actually, but I think it's a good time to get into our game design topic, which is, I can see the relation here, uh, but it's not 100% related. It's not a super smooth transition. We're talking about writing supplements for games. 
And that's, I don't know, it kind of is the other side of, of borrowing elements from a game to put into yours because you're supplementing your game that you're jamming for. But when I think of supplements, I think of a lot of other different things. It could be tiny rule sets to supplement your game, but I often think about adventures and settings and yeah, and people to go into these games. The all of the cool accessories that Barbie gets for her dream house. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I actually got uh, my start writing writing these. Like that's how I started uh, in indie. Uh, well, RPGs. yeah, I think that's. I don't know, do we lose Matt? Oh, oh. Hopefully he's not saying like a whole bunch of really good stuff. We lost you. Say what you said again. No. No, we lost him again. Uh, we, we were, I was lost, losing you. Um, I was waiting for you to, I think we're all caught up. Are we caught up? I think so now. <laughs> Say what you were saying. Oh, I, I was just excited because it's the same. I, I was excited because of the, it's the same thing. I think I, everybody gets started almost everyone gets started writing supplements you know because it's it's that it is sort of like the opposite side of like we were talking about like oh any game can have a tumbling dice tower in it or any game can have like a skills challenge in it or any game you know it's it's the opposite side where like no this is any game can be game. about cats and in a magic school <laughs> any of them sure <laughs> exactly exactly it's the opposite thing like you're like okay yeah if we're gonna do the uh cat academy the magic cat academy supplement for this d20 game or this uh uh you know d6 pool game or this uh card-based game you know right you yeah I'm writing down right now Magic Cat Academy. Um, I'm going <laughs> to make this game now because I want to. Uh, and I already have a game whose rules can work with that. <laughs> so I'm going to just I know that. <laughs> I know you want the word magic in there, but I really want it to be a Cat Academy. A Cat Academy? Just oh, a my cat gosh. Academy. Okay, hold on. I'm changing Just because that. that's fun to say. Yes, it is. A <laughs> Cat Academy. Okay. A Cat Academy, Academy. of Magic. Cat Academy. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> putting it down in my my notes that's called <laughs> ideas <laughs> the title <laughs> will i ever be able to find this list when i actually need it maybe not but there it is uh yeah so man did you get your start writing supplements can you hear us i mean the, my first published work is obviously yes someone else's system you know um it is it, because it, i think it's so it, it, if the architecture exists if the game company that's publishing the the parent game to your supplement has set up a system whereby th they are pulling in writers and, and getting them to create content it, it is sort of like a pipeline uh or or you know sometimes those develop independently um of the the parent company or whatever but uh my first credit in the rpg industry is with palladium books and it is the system that we that it's it's my dungeons and dragons i did not like quote unquote grow up with dungeons and dragons i grew up playing riffs 
at, in high school and in middle school. And so I didn't play Dungeons and Dragons until college. Um, and so when Brandon and I started up this game group that we, um, you know, have, it's been going on for years and like over a decade, but like we, we started playing Palladium games. And so that's the system that we played a lot of. And so like, it's like they have a quarterly supplement that they publish and they've got to fill it with content. And so they fill it with fan submissions from like, oh, here's the thing you can do. Here's another monster, monstrous uh, creature that you can face down, or here's another character class that you can, I'm sorry, an occupational character class uh, that you can, um, that you can have in this future society or whatever, or like, uh, you know, whatever their different games lines are, but like I, Brandon and I wrote one, we submitted it and, and it, it is, it's sort of like the, the next level of borrowing. Like I'm going to do this one rule thing at this time in this game or I'm going to like really adapt my ideas to ma ma mesh with published material that already exists like it, it's 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 either and then like it's like I said about pipeline it becomes like a way for if it's a quality product if it's a quality submission then like it's kind of an audition then like okay so you did that cool article that proposed that one little thing but that was pretty good so either you know we're, we're you're you're now noticed right in either the industry among your peers or by the company itself and you get to possibly be asked to write i mean that would be the ultimate idea or that's one pathway into the industry right is is to then be move up from fan submissions to like minor supplements to you know, proper books published by the company, you know, it, that is one pipeline that can exist and learning to mesh all of your ideas into an existing rule set so that it can be either officially or semi-officially part of that game. That's a skill. That's a skill. And um, it works even in the indie space because you know, I wrote something just for my own self, I wrote something for the PIP system uh, a year ago or a couple of years ago. I can't remember now when I wrote it, but like I'd never written for that system before. So like I get out the book and I look at it and I'm like, okay, it works like this. So my ideas were this. So like I need to make that idea work in this system and then, you know, it gets reviewed and, and then now it's published and great. I've written for that system now, but it is the needs of the system have to come over your inspiration at the table when you're working on that side of it right because it is going to be under that umbrella of it is in this system you know um i think back to what we talked about in the first half about like you know a role-playing game session is just the story of your characters and you can use whatever rules you want but like a published thing that's a supplement to a game it's that game you know so we it's the other side. It, it's the other side that has to take precedence. There are other factors at play. There are other stakeholders that are involved that aren't there mm. for your casual table game, for sure. Yeah, exactly. Craig, did you get your start writing supplements? <laughs> um, yeah, I wrote adventures and stuff for magazines, convention stuff. I mean, that's all supplemental material. Um, I came this close to doing a quarter of a monster book for fourth edition D and D. And then that monster book went kaplooey when they started designing fifth edition. Um, <laughs> and the death of that monster book project was uh, in 
combination with fifth edition being developed dried up my freelance work and that's where that's why i am where i am today because i suddenly had a lot of free time i wasn't writing for DD anymore because they weren't hiring for a lot of stuff um <clears throat> so yeah absolutely um i've just found myself being it's interesting to take a walk down like the different paths into um game design in general and we we tend to talk quite a lot about um like when you're in the midst of designing your own game, like in this, the second segment of every episode. Um, whereas like, like, you know, yeah, there's, there's a lot of ways into it and, um, designing supplemental material is, um, whether it is for us, a, a supplement book or for a magazine or a quarterly or for a website or for a blog or for whatever, if it's, if it has some sort of affiliation with, with a game, that's one of the many, many, and one of the ways to get in. And many, many people have used that particular method um, because like Matt, like Matt said, it, there's, there's, there's an audition feel to it. Um, even if it's not specifically described <laughs> to anyone as an audition, you kind of know you're auditioning. Like we're going to write, write a little something. I think it's a great, a great way to kind of test out whether you like doing this sort of thing uh, because you you can use something that's very well established you that can help you if you're deciding to sell your supplement if that's something that you're allowed to do um although you can you can you can write whatever rules you can make your stuff compatible with whatever game you want but then there are certain rules you do have to follow in order to make sure that you're not stepping into um copyright territory but it's a great way to like sort of get into the industry without having to completely promote yourself from scratch. It's something established. I think the hard thing is you have to be really familiar with what you're supplementing because if you, especially if you're like, I, I uh, mentored somebody who's doing supplements for Pathfinder and the Pathfinder community is very about the rules and how they are, how they are written and the interpretations of those. There are like, I mean, this is true for D and D too. It's probably true for a lot of other games where there are forums upon forums of interpretation of one rule. I would find something like that to be fairly overwhelming. Uh, whereas, because uh, there's a lot of stuff that you have to like kind of dig into to understand the rules of a game like that. Whereas if I were to make a, a playbook, an extra playbook for monster hearts, for example, there are, maybe fewer, not saying that it's not as, it, I mean, it isn't as complicated. There isn't as much stuff to dig into. Um, and there's less of a, a community of rules lawyers involved. Uh, so I think that there can be a level of intimidation at the same time um, that you don't get like starting your own game, but also a level of comfort going into a system that hopefully you're familiar with already and that you love already. Uh, and making something within within those within those gates. I don't I don't know. It's it's it would be super super scary for me to write a five E supplement, for example. I would be terrified uh, because everyone knows everyone knows exactly what those rules are. There there are people who are going to be more familiar with them than me. There are going to be people who are looking at it and expecting a certain quality. They're going to like all of these things are coming into play with that. That I don't necessarily have to worry about when I'm making uh, a game about cats in a potions class whatever that is you know it's there's there's a different feel to that for me uh when i wrote supplements it was for people that i knew 
personally, who were my friends? Uh, I'm curious if, if, if the two of you felt the same way, if there was a level of intimidation writing supplements for, for these very well-established companies. When that was what I did as a freelancer, as a designer, um, there was some initially, and I got over it pretty quickly just because I did a lot of work. Um, and so you come to terms, you kind of, you, yeah, you figure it out, you know, like if you do it enough, you just figure it out. Um, but it was definitely there initially. Um, now that I haven't written, for example, for D&D for, you know, several years, um, it is absolutely, it would absolutely be intimidating to write for it again, to design anything out, you know, anything rules, rules-based, it would be intimidating because it's a completely different edition. I've never designed for for fifth edition, I designed stuff at the tail end of third and I designed through fourth, but I, yeah, it would be absolutely intimidating. And this, this is coming from somebody who has freelanced quite a lot for D and D in the past. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just, uh, me being full of myself, uh, hopefully <laughs> my voice is acceptable on this other, this alternate device that, uh, doesn't, uh, um, but the, um, you know, like I was saying before, like you, you've got to go through that process of like, okay, what are the rules? And here they are. Okay. How do I adapt my ideas to them? And then like, you know, I either, you either have or haven't. And, you know, if you're doing like an official, you know, depending on an editor is always helpful. If you, if you've been commissioned to do it or asked to do it, somebody's going to be reviewing what you, what you've submitted and telling you whether or not you got it right. And, you know, that's a part of the process um, to match with that representative of what, what the supplement rules are supposed to be is, is there to help you get it to the rules, uh, get it to, to match with the thing. So um, I, I, hopefully they're not a jerk about it, you know, like, you know, some, I can imagine an editor in that situation who looks at your stuff and is like, no, nope, it's not what we're looking for, you know, but other people, if they're really trying to cultivate you and, you know, they, they will say like, okay, this is promising, but it doesn't quite match. So like, you know, these are the areas that, you know, you can't do that in the system, or these are the areas that don't match the design or don't match the, the design format of, of what we need. So you need to alter them in this way. Um, and, you know, that's obviously more work on their part, but like if they want, if they picked you to do the project, they more than hopefully want you to do it, you know, to help, to get, help you get to the point where you can do it. Um, and if you're not having that experience with an editor, especially if you've been asked to do something, um, yeah, don't work with them again because <laughs> it's, life's too short to, you know, work with jerks. No, I'm I'm there with you on that one. I I freelanced for a company who shall name, uh, who shall remain nameless, and uh, never went back to working for them because I had a terrible experience. Actually, I had three experiences. The third one was terrible, and I said I'm out. The first two were fine, and then the third one was like, oh, this is crap. I'm I'm not dealing with this anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that would really suck. Uh, <laughs> especially if it's something that you liked, like if it's the rule system you liked. Um, yeah, I like the game too. Yeah. I like the people who make it. I had a terrible experience with that person. So uh, aside from like kind of this, um, 
this administrative side, like what is the process like? Like what what would your process be? Say you you wanted to write a supplement for uh, you wanted to write a supplement for Cat Academy, which has become <laughs> an international hit. It's the game that everyone's playing. Everyone knows it, and it has become synonymous with TTRPGs. Everyone says, "Oh yeah, it, you know, have you ever played a TTRPG? It's like Cat Academy, you know." Um, so you're you're starting to write a, a supplement Are for this game. Other than Cat Academy? Yeah, yeah. No one, no one really does. Please continue with your question, but you're already shooting yourself <laughs> in the foot, and I'm going to take you down hard, Jess. Go ahead, continue your question. Anyway, like, what would your process be getting started writing a supplement? How do you decide what you're going to do? Let's say you don't have to get um, <laughs> the great owner's permission <laughs> who, right. who designed this game. <laughs> Okay, but the but the game is incredibly popular. Here's oh, yeah. what I would do. I'd write about anything I damn well please because it will sell because the game is incredibly popular. <laughs> okay, that's fair. What if it what if it is what if it is just Cat Academy, a game that five people have heard of, but you really like it? Um, well, I'd want to I'd want to know if uh, like, well, I mean, am I pitching something? Is that no, what you're saying? You're just allowed to to make a supplement. We, okay. Let's not worry about pitching. Okay, so there's an open license. <laughs> we did talk about open licenses. Um, and I can make a thing for Cat Academy. Um, uh, well, I'd familiarize myself with what's out there already and put my ear to the ground about what might also be in development if there's anybody that's being loud and talkative and, and enthusiastic about something. And I wouldn't do that. Um, and I, you know, uh, find the thing like with with me, it every every game that I've designed every supplement that I've created for my own stuff, everything that I've written for other games with the exception of like a few things that I was like, I'm going to do that because you know, it's that game. I'm just going to, I want to, I want to do a thing for that game. It's been because there was something about the material that I was going to be developing that excited me that I was enthusiastic about. And so find the thing that's enthusiastic about cat Academy. Um, if it's the uh, the dog wizard school that is at odds with the cat academy that has not been developed yet, then and, and I'm a dog person, um, and I've got great ideas for dog puns because I only assume cat academy is filled with cat puns. Um, then yeah, then you know find the thing that excites you that you're interested that you, that you can that you won't lose um, enthusiasm about or are less likely to lose enthusiasm about because that's one of the great project killers, right? Is losing enthusiasm about the thing you're working on for one of a number of reasons. And some of them can be because it takes too long or you just, the idea wasn't that interesting to you in the first place or some new shinier idea comes along. So you need to find thing, find things that are going to keep you motivated. Yeah. I think a lot of what I've done in, in like, the example that Craig just gave about the the dog, the rival dog academy that uh, that it was mentioned in like one paragraph of the core book, but never stated. You know, it's like, oh well, this is an obvious gap that I think that's kind of what I'm always looking for when I think of what I want to write for a game. Um, you know, there's a list of like eight things that you could meet in the wasteland, and like, okay, but like where can I look up this one sounds intriguing, you know, the, I don't know, the, 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 the Bartleby phenomenon, you know, is out there in the desert somewhere like, okay, great. What is that? You know, like, what is the hook that like 
or what is the, the, the hook that already exists in the game that nothing has been hung on yet. And um, that is that that's where I'm usually looking. I'm looking for an open hook usually um, when I when I come to a game. Um, it's so I, you know, yeah, I don't know that that's maybe not. I guess I don't have a long answer, but like, that's, that's the thing you look for, you know, because it's what excites you because you're going to, and I think the other thing related to that, I think is like what you, there's kind of like, um, uh, you can be known for things, especially in the indie TTRPG space where it's like, um, Oh, okay. We're going to write about zombies. Okay, great. Uh, ask Eric Bloat to add some zombie stuff to it. And like, oh, dog <laughs> right. stuff. Like, find, find a zombie who person. Who do I know that before? Like, oh, let's see. Uh, John Kennedy has written like 17 supplements for things about dogs. So like, ask John, you know. Um, so whatever that is for me. I mean, I guess it would be like, I don't know, World War One stuff maybe. Or <laughs> like, uh, you know, I don't know. But like, you, you your reputation about what you are interested in contributes to that thing where people are like, especially again, if you're being asked to do it, um, you know, you're being asked because of what you've already done. And, you know, like you don't want to not do, especially if you get asked to do, you don't want to not deliver what you've been asked to do. But then of course, I guess that can become a trap, I guess, uh, you know, like, after you've written 17 Cat Academy supplements all about the same thing, now you're looking for your own, what haven't I done yet kind of thing. I don't mm-hmm. know. Typecasting yourself, so yeah. Now getting out of hand. Um, Typecasting yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else people should know about writing supplements? Um. Yeah, there's all sorts of things we could have talked about, about actually writing supplements for your own stuff, which is where I thought all of this was going to go, but it went down a completely different path. And this has been fun. <laughs> um, I, I think it works the same way for writing supplements for your own stuff. You're finding gaps that you didn't fill in necessarily in your game, things that you want to explore, but you either literally did not have physical space for in your game or you wanted to get the product out just kind of as a base version. And then an idea popped up later. I think that they're, I think that the process is very much the same, except you already have that built-in ownership, that built-in feel, because it's your game. So when you're making a supplement for it, it's just an, an extension of your game. Whereas writing a supplement for somebody else's game, you kind of have to, you have to do a little bit more pumping up for yourself to make the feel like, it, oh, this is, this is mine. I do have ownership of this and I have control over this little domain. Um, right. At least that's my psychology behind it. I, yeah, I've got I've got a lot more to say about this this bent of the topic, but we we don't have to go into that here. We can call it this a tease, ooh. and we'll 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 talk about it um, at some point down well, the road. Yeah, so maybe, since we went down a different path here, which is it happens, well, but this is the first time that it's been the whole segment has been a different path for me. <laughs> it threw me for a second. I was like, well, okay, I guess we're just gonna let this happen. And it was a good talk anyway, but <laughs> it just seemed, it seems to relate like borrowing from games or like as a GM or writing material or someone else's game as a creator is like, those are, those are aligned. Um, yeah. 
We'll just have to throw it back on the topic list. Writing a yeah. supplement yeah. for the your supplement. own game. Yep. <laughs> I'll make the adjustment. Right. <laughs> Matt, Matthew, thank you for joining us. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. No problem. Where can we this find... Is... I'm letting uh, you finish your sentence. <laughs> well, I was, I was going to... I countered up to see how many... This is my fourth appearance on the podcast. I countered them up. So I'm, I'm happy to be here a fourth time. And uh, so, you know, I'll, I I suspect in a few months I'll, uh, you know, I'll be back again. <laughs> I look forward to it. Look it's forward to the podcast lasting uh, many more. <laughs> Where can we find your stuff on, so, online and in person? Yeah. So uh, Wet Ink Games is at wetinkgames.com. Uh, we are under that name at the uh, on the two metas the meta pages, uh, <laughs> Facebook and Instagram. And uh, we have a discord where you can come and ask questions. Uh, of, I'm usually on there answering questions about how rules work or uh, you know where you can find our stuff. Uh, our books are available to purchase through drive RPG or through Indie Press Revolution. Uh, so that's, that's all the relevant places. And uh, think we'll be we're, we're definitely we're going to be at cons this year uh but it's not not for a while i think uh june is the first one we've got on our docket so awesome you can find me at wannabegames.com or on twitter and on tumblr at, at joska and you can find me on tiktok at justice awful and you can find my stuff on direct rpg and itch as well under wannabe games and you can find me at Nerdburger Craig on Twitter. Um, that's my name on Mastodon as well. Uh, the website is nerdburgergames.com and all the games are on Twitter. However, if you go to the store for uh, nerdburgergames.com, it's got, uh, you can also buy the like the fancy like offset print versions. Um, Thank you to our opening and closing theme song, which is Avil by Steph Sachs, which is licensed under Creative Commons. And thank all of you for listening. And we'll see you back here next time. Bye. Bye-bye.